Hello and welcome to Stick Together, Australia's only national radio show all about workers' rights and social justice. Stick Together is produced on 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast to you around the country on Community Radio Network. I'm Dennis Rogatyuk. The past July 18th was the 80th anniversary of the fascist coup by General Francisco Franco in Spain, which kicked off the conflict now known as the Spanish Civil War. After three years of a violent campaign supported and armed by Mussolini's Italy and Hitler's Germany, the fascists crushed the forces of Popular Front and the Second Spanish Republic. What followed was a campaign of repression and genocide against the members and sympathizers of the left-wing government and the various groups and organizations that supported the social and workers' revolution against fascism. Anywhere between 100,000 and 400,000 people died at the hands of Franco's fascist government between 1939 and 1976. No attempt has ever been made to prosecute those responsible for these atrocities, but the memory of the fight against fascism, the international brigades, and the workers' revolution lives on all these decades later. Remembering what happened to Spain, let us turn our attention to the rise of fascism and right-wing extremism on our own home soil, with the newly elected Senator Pauline Hansen. During her recent train wreck appearance on Q&A, Labour Senator Sam Destiari helped to expose some of her bigotry and racism, while an anti-racist protest took place outside the ABC studios in Sydney. On today's show, we thought we'd look at the background of the rise of Pauline Hansen and how the trade union movement in her home state of Queensland has fought back against her and other racist and fascist movements in the past and present. Joining us now is Michael Clifford, the Assistant General Secretary of the Queensland Council of Trade Unions. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on Stick Theatre. It's a pleasure, Dennis. Fantastic. Uh, now, Michael, the... Um, what do you think has been the key reason for the rise of Pauline Hansen uh, back to power recently? Uh, I, I think that what we're seeing with Pauline Hansen is something similar to what we're seeing in a number of Western nations. So we saw it in uh, Brexit in the UK. Um, we're seeing it in the rise of Donald Trump in the US. I think uh, there's a whole lot of uncertainty that people are feeling uh, that allows uh, people like Pauline Hanson to exploit people's fears and uncertainties. Um, and uh, they have a simple target for that. It's, it's somebody else's fault. And in the case of Hanson, it's the, it's the fault of immigrants, it's the fault of refugees, and in particular she's focused in on Muslims. Uh, but uh, my view is that underlying it is a, is a fear about people's future, it's a fear about uh, jobs, um, and it's the uncertainty uh, in, um, you know, in, the, in, in employment in particular. There's a lot of people in casualised employment, in uncertain employment, and um, it's fairly easy to whip up fear around people from overseas coming in and taking those jobs. Now, the trade union movement in Queensland has been opposed, uh, well, has been opposed to Pauline Hanson for a long time, but also to the whole sort of uh, politics and movement of racism and fascism. Like, uh, f- from what I understand, there's been a, a, tra- a tradition of uh, going back to the, an- to the anti-apartheid movement and the um, uh, the solidarity, uh, so the solidarity movements with the immig- uh, with the immigrants there uh, too. Could you uh, tell us a bit, a bit more of the background and history there? 
Yeah, well, you know, it's it's ingrained in union values to oppose racism and uh, fascism. Um, my own journey into the trade union movement actually came through the anti-apartheid movement. I used to be the secretary of the Australian anti-apartheid movement in New South Wales uh, many, many years ago. Um, and what I saw... Uh, in my role there was just the tremendous support of the trade union movement here in Australia and right around the world in opposing a racist regime. So, uh, you know, the union movement was very heavily involved in um, uh, bringing about and then maintaining a sporting boycott, uh, heavily involved in, you know, some of the, um, uh, the, the actions around the Springboks coming to Australia and to New Zealand. Uh, there were trade boycotts uh, very early on. The Maritime Union of Australia, or then the Wharfies, were implementing boycotts to stop goods from travelling to South Africa. Uh, there was plenty of financial support for the trade unions in South Africa. There was that global solidarity, as well as a whole lot of lobbying going on of governments around the world by trade unions to isolate the apartheid regime. So it was a very, uh, it was a very positive action to oppose. Uh, racism in South Africa, uh, particularly through the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s. Um, but, uh, you know, the union movement also has challenged racism much closer to home. Uh, it was the trade union movement who was involved in and in assisting in the Wave Hill strike uh, in the Northern Territory, which eventually uh, led to the land rights movements. Um, trade unions have long been supportive of the struggles of Aboriginal people in this country. Um, more recently, the Queensland Council of Trade Unions has been active in ensuring that uh, wages stolen uh, from Aboriginal people are, are repatriated. So we um, were involved in a fight with the Queensland Government um, to make sure there was a commitment before the 2015 election to provide an additional $21 million of funding uh, to ensure that stolen wages were given back to Aboriginal people in Queensland. Yes. Um, on the refugees and immigrants front, um, you know, there's, uh, again, a long history of trade unions being involved in supporting refugee rights. Uh, very recently here, the Queensland Council of Unions uh, supported a concert that was organised by some uh, rank-and-file trade union members up here in support of refugees and asylum seekers, uh, the Queensland Union movement was very active, uh, your listeners might recall, in supporting uh, um, Baby Asher, who was yes. uh, threatened with deportation from the Lady Salento Hospital up here. So we, uh, with a range of other progressive groups, involved ourselves in actions at the hospital, 24-hour uh, vigils over uh, more than seven days, and that eventually led to uh, pickets being set up when there was talk of Asher being removed uh, mm -hmm. from the hospital. Um, and again, it was union members in the hospital. It was doctors and it was nurses, in particular and administrative staff within that hospital who were union members who were very strong in their action against seeing the deportation of, um, of baby Asher. Um, when we go to Hanson, I think, you know, there's a number of ways that we can fight uh, the politics of fear. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the union movement is doing right now in Queensland, in Toowoomba, there was a fascist group that came up recently to try and generate a bit of racism and a bit of division in Toowoomba. That's the United Patriots Front, wasn't it? That's yeah. correct. Yes. That's correct. Now, that failed miserably. It failed miserably. But one of the things that we're doing in response to that is supporting very positive projects in Toowoomba mm -hmm. to ensure that refugees feel welcome 
uh, in that city. And there's a fantastic project going on at the moment working with a whole range of schools, about 18 schools. Josh Arnold is a fellow who runs a uh, project called Small Town Culture. Um, and he's making music videos with school kids, so he's involving a whole lot of children in uh, the making of these videos, as well as their families, as well as their local communities. And the theme of those videos is one of inclusion, it's one of acceptance, uh, it's one of celebrating different cultures and different religions. Um, so that positive message, I think, and involving, uh, involving whole communities in developing those positive messages is a really great thing for us to be doing in local communities. And could you tell it's, uh, could you also tell us um, sort of more broadly across uh, Queensland so what have um, what have been some of the other work that the trade union movement has been doing in the anti-racist and the anti-fascist mobilizations and uh, um, well there have been you know uh, not not organized union events but there's certainly been uh, unionists who've been involved in opposing uh, you know the reclaim Australia movements and the UPF. Uh, when they've come up to demonstrate, certainly there's been trade unionists who've made sure that their opposition is well known uh, to that, um, uh, whether that's in writing or whether that's going down and opposing those sorts of uh, rallies. Um, the union movement has been uh, involved in that through its rank-and-file uh, membership. But one of the best ways that we can oppose the politics of fear is to get out and have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. You know, we know that people are very fearful of uh, what the, of the uncertainty in the future, and that particularly uh, relates to the uncertainty around jobs. We know that Pauline Hanson does not provide an answer on jobs. Yes. Um, and in fact, if we look at Pauline Hanson's record, uh, you know, here she is touting fears that um, people are coming in from overseas and taking your jobs and are going to make your life worse. Well, Pauline Hanson voted for uh, the 1996 Howard legislation, which ripped away a whole lot of workers' rights. It was the first lot of legislation that introduced individual contracts through Australian workplace agreements. It was the legislation that started the rot in stripping back awards and taking a whole lot of rights out of awards, including people's rights to... Uh, consultation. It was legislation that made it harder for people to take industrial action. So on the one hand, she's talking to people about people coming and taking your jobs. And on the other hand, she's in Parliament and she's voting for legislation which rips away people's rights and makes it easier for uh, their jobs to be casualised. What we need to be doing is getting out and talking to working people uh, about where the real threat lies to their future. And it's not from refugees, it's not from asylum seekers. It wasn't refugees in the last federal election that was looking to increase medical bills. Mm -hmm. That was the Liberal Party that was going to make life, uh, well, and probably still will make life harder for working people, make it harder for people to uh, make, end meet, uh, make ends meet and make it harder for us to have a decent health system. It's not refugees that are out there avoiding billions of dollars in tax that would allow us to have a decent health system and allow us to have a good education system. That's big multinational companies that are doing that. You know, it's, uh, it's not yes. refugees that want to introduce the ABCC, which is designed to persecute construction workers. That's the big end of town that's doing that and the Liberal Party. Um, it's not refugees that are trying to rip away penalty rates from retail workers and from hospitality workers and ultimately seeing a flow-on effect to all other workers. That's places like the Retail Traders Association. It's not refugees that are casualising employment. Wherever we look, the threat
threats to people's jobs, the threats to people's livelihoods, are coming from places like the Liberal Party, are coming from the big end of town, are coming from employer organisations. And that's where we need to take the fight. If we want to make sure that we've got decent jobs, we need to be having conversations with people to say the threat is not from refugees. The threat is from the big end of town, and that's where our efforts should be directed. Oh, Michael, thank you so much uh, for joining us on Stick Together. Thank you. And we need to make sure that, you know, if, if Pauline Anson is going to be out there pretending to represent working people, she needs to come up with some answers on jobs and job insecurity and certainly voting for the sort of legislation she's voted for in the past. That ain't the answer. Mm, absolutely. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Moving now from fighting Pauline Hansen to fighting the Liberal Party and Malcolm Turnbull, we thought it would be a good idea to analyse the effectiveness and the strategy of the We Union and Build a Better Future campaigns during the latest federal election and where, and where to now for the union movement as a whole. Joining us now is Luke Hilakari, the Secretary of the Victorian Trades Hall Council. Uh, Luke, welcome back to Stick Together. Pleased to be here. Hello, listeners. Uh, now, look, uh, before uh, we talk about the election in general, um, what is your assessment on the result in Victoria? Uh, do you feel like the balance of forces uh, has politically shifted in our favour with the result? Yeah, tough, tough day in Victoria. Um, Victoria was at a already a very high watermark. Um, disappointing that we lost the seat of Chisholm. Uh, what was terrific to see is that the campaigns that were run by the union movement, by the Gomsky campaign as part of that, uh, by the CSIRO workers, the CPSU, and other environmental groups had a major impact on a number of marginal seats. That seat of Dunkley, which was held by formerly uh, Bruce Bilson, who many of your listeners will know, was a minister who advocated for small business in such a way that would discriminate against uh, people getting paid penalty rates. Like That was a huge campaign, and we nearly won a seat like that. Um, across the nation, uh, the Liberal Party will be devastated by that outcome. They picked up Malcolm Turnbull because they thought that that would achieve them electoral success. And what it's been is a complete disaster, um, he has been unable to constrain the conservative right, and the only people that have been able to do that is all of us by taking action. Mm. And the We Union campaign in particular, uh, which, which, which is run several marginal seats around uh, around Victoria, you mentioned before, um, Chisholm, but how, how do you feel like the uh, initial objectives, uh, whether or not they have been achieved? Yeah, some terrific results. So on election day, we had over a 1,000 rank-and-file unionists out on booze, talking to punters about the issues that we care about. And you'll notice at the end of the election, everyone was talking about our issues, so like Medicare. The day before the election, we distributed across Australia 1,000 Medicare cards. Um, we had over 200 people, you know, rank-and-file unions again, on train stations of that morning, handing them out to people, you know, making sure that everyone who was going to those polling booths put our issues first. Uh, if you look at this election, this election in which the Liberal Party failed to come out with an IR policy. 
and they didn't have an industrial relations policy because they knew if they said anything like that, that would cost them votes because we've been out there campaigning so hard. Uh, issues like job security, like the whole Liberal campaign was all about jobs and, and jobs. And the reason they were talking about jobs is because we're fighting so hard for them. Um, that's what we're really impressed about. We're impressed about how many uh, rank-and-file volunteers got involved. It's the highest amount we've ever had involved. Um, we're thrilled that our issues were the issues that were the, the hot topics. Um, but, you know, we're disappointed we didn't get there in the end, but we've made such a big difference, and everyone should be really proud of it. Mm, excellent. And as you mentioned just now, the, the industrial relations and ILOs, you know, the whole, the whole trigger for the election in the first place was the, was the ABCC, but that was barely, and it was, as, yeah, you're right, was barely even mentioned uh, throughout the whole election campaign. But uh, do you reckon, um, what do you reckon are the prospects for the new Turnbull government, you know, bringing it up again in any shape or form? I think they're going to struggle. Um, we don't know the result of the Senate yet. I mean, it's not entirely decided, nor is the last of the House of Representatives settled either. Um, so that's really important because we just don't know if that bill gets put up in what will be a joint sitting, so both houses meeting together. We don't know if that would get passed. Um, what we have seen, though, is that some of people like Bob Catter have come out really strongly and said, you know, if you put on the ABCC, you'll have trouble with me. Um, and I could threaten your, your support in holding a government. Um, you know, why that might not have an impact straight away, I'll tell you what, you know, Malcolm Turnbull's going to already be in a lot of problems. So he's going to struggle to get things through his own caucus, and he's going to struggle to get things through the House of Reps, and then he's going to struggle to get through stuff in the Senate. So I don't know if having a IR debate and having a fight with unions about the ABCC is something that he can handle at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it certainly also also feels like uh, you know because the ABCC was uh, was one of the triggers for the election in the first place. It also felt like you know the Australian voters and the electorate and workers really rejecting re- rejecting this kind of approach uh, in the in the first place too. Yeah, completely. Um, so the ABCC wasn't debated. It was a trigger that was used. It was a complete complete fraud on behalf of the Liberal Party to say that you know this is the major issue when, you know, productivity and construction building itself is efficient and growing in the state of Victoria and and across the nation. Um, They're aiming to try to demonise the CFMEU, to demonise unions in general. Uh, They spent $80 million on a Royal Commission, and at the end of the day, that has shown to do very little. It has been a a, a complete rort and a waste of everyday taxpayers' money, um, and people people should be a little bit angry at them about this. Mm-hmm, um, You've got to remember, the ABCC did the most terrible things to building workers. Not only did it restrict rights to you know, ins- inspect dangerous work sites, it resulted in every 10 days a construction worker being killed at work. That's what the ABCC did, and we need to make sure that laws like that get never get reintroduced into this country. Yeah, uh, just and, and just finish off. Look, uh, you know, you mentioned you mentioned a lot that like, you know you've had you had such a such a tremendous response from the rank and file members and activists for the Wear Union uh, campaign during the election. Do you think we um, uh, we can use we can use this post-election momentum in any of the upcoming campaigns or industrial elections? Completely. Like we are a campaigning force. Um, when it comes to changing votes, we're very good at that. Um, when it comes to putting boots on the street for rallies and stuff, we are great at that. The next thing is to how do we support you know, affiliates and unions 
to achieve some of their ends. So right now, uh, your listeners may be aware there is a huge action going on at CUB. Uh, CUB has sacked 55 of their maintenance workers, which are you know electricians and uh, members of the AMWU. Um, they've sacked these workers and they offered them their jobs back for a pay cut of 65%. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not the type of things that you know, should be ever seen in this country. Uh, CUB makes, you know, so much money from selling beer. Like, it is the easiest thing to do in a country like Australia, but to, you know, not respect their workers, well, that's not something we're going to let them get away with. So the We Are Union campaign, that's a place where people can come and participate now in those types of industrial struggles that we have. So that's what we'll be pivoting to, um, because there are thousands and thousands of people who over the course of you know a 12-month campaign got involved and they want to make sure that workers aren't getting ripped off by big dodgy companies. All right, look, well, thank you so much for once again joining us on uh, Stick Together. Pleasure, and we encourage all your listeners to stay in touch with us, follow us on our Facebook page, follow us on our website, follow us on our Twitter handle and uh, get involved in some of the industrial struggles that we have coming up. That was Luke Hilakari from the Victorian Trades Hall Council talking about the challenges ahead for the union movement after the federal election. Before we finish the show, we wanted to touch upon an important victory which the National Union of Workers scored recently at their worksite in Long Worry. The dairy workers employed by Pamela Company were locked out for 11 days by the company following their demands for decent wages, family leave and job security. On July 15th, an agreement was reached that greatly benefited uh, the workers. Joining us now is James Bay, a National Union of Workers uh, member from the Palmerlots Long Worry site. Uh, James, uh, thanks for joining us on Stick the Air. Uh, yeah, no, no worries. Thanks for having me on. Now, uh, James, could you tell us uh, a bit of a background on the uh, on, on the dispute? You know, why was the work why was the workforce uh, locked out in the first place? Yeah, so uh, basically, it all started. Um uh, we have an, uh, an enterprise bargaining agreement with uh, uh, Palmerlet Longworry. Um, it was a sm- small family-owned company that was bought out by Palmerlet, um, multinational company, um, roughly 18 months ago. Um, the agreement ran out on the 1st of May, so we started uh, uh, negotiations in early February um, to try and get a, a deal done. Um, the first few meetings went along uh, relatively smoothly and um, there was a lot of to and froing between the uh, NUW and the uh, management team from uh, Parmalat. Um, it came to a bit of a standstill after about the fourth or fifth meeting. We were offered a, a packaged offer, um, which all of the workforce uh, saw as um, not a really good offer um, on the table. Um, uh, it got to a point where um, there was no negotiation from from the uh, management side anymore so we uh, applied for protected action uh, we went to a uh, postal ballot which was uh, highly in favor of um, taking action from from the NUW side from the members uh, we basically uh, decided to meet with the company one last time before um, we decided to put any bans or anything in effect um, we met with the company they wouldn't move from their packaged offer, um, so we decided to implement some uh, small bans, such as paperwork bans, overtime bans, and loading and unloading of trucks. Um, before we even got to the point where we could put those bans into effect, 
Uh, we came to the site, um, reported for our duties, and we were informed that if we proceeded with action, we'd be locked out, which effectively is what happened. Right. And how did the dispute progress, and um, what did you uh, guys manage to achieve uh, in the end? Yeah, so the, the dispute, it started off, we were locked out. Um, we had really good support from all the, the NUW um, organisers. Um, they supplied us with portable toilets, caravans, etc. Um, made sure we were all fed and watered. Um, we had really good support from all the uh, community as well. A lot of the other um, NUW delegates from other sites came over and showed their support. We had massive social media support as well. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was sort of overwhelming, the, the support we had. Um, we were locked out for 11 days in the dispute. Um, it got to a point where um, the company was willing to meet with us and negotiate, and we had a really good win on all fronts. So it was great. And uh, what was, uh, can you tell us about some of the details of the final agreement that you managed to reach yeah. with the company? Yeah, I sure can, yeah. So it was really good. Um, it was really pleasing. We managed to get, um, we got some good pay, pay rise conditions, which is sort of one of the one of the lower um, items on our agenda. Um, the main things were around our rostering, making sure that we got um, rostering um, that was able to allow us to have social life, family life, time with um, time with partners and yes. children, etc. And we got that in place. Um, so that was a really big win for us. That was a big thing for all the guys because a lot of the guys have their families and they want to be able to go home to them at night and not have to be working working uh, their backsides off all the time. So we got that into effect. Um, we managed to get a casual conversion clause in place um, so that our casuals, um, more than 12 months continual service, will be con- converted to uh, full-time. Um, so that's a really big win for a, for a small sort of regional um, regional town site. It's really, it's it's good to be able to, for the future generations, to be able to have that clause in place so that it does yeah. guarantee um, some full-time work to the guys that are continually working there. Um, we also got into place um, our long service leave after the third year of our agreement will be brought up to industry standard. Um, so that was another big win for the guys as well. Um, a few other things around that. Um, we had a uh, casual to full-time ratio clause put in place so it's always going to be a 70% full-time to 30% casual ratio so it means that our workforce won't be casualised and that will be audited um, quarterly so that's another another big win for, full, for full-time work at our site. Excellent, uh, excellent James. So, well, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, stick together and updating us on the uh, on the well, it's really a fantastic win by the NEW members in Longworry. No worries. And just one last thing before I go, I'd like to obviously thank you for having having us on the show, and I'd like to um, send a big thanks to all the uh, organisers and all the guys from the NUW team, as well as all the community that supported us as well. Because uh, yeah, we couldn't have done it without the backing of, of everyone. That was James Pay, one of the NEW members at Long Worry, wrapping up our show today. Just before we head off, don't forget about the upcoming annual John Cummins Memorial Dinner on August 27th at Flemington Racecourse. Contact the CFMU for more inquiries and purchasing tickets. Well, that's it for Stick Together this week. I'm Dennis Rogatuk. Thanks to all our guests who appeared on the show, to the Community Broadcasting Federation, and thanks for listening to today's episode, and we hope you tune in same time next week. 